creating an opportunity in an entrepreneurial environment where people can, without having the title or the ownership, where they can lead, where they can control their own destiny, where they can take risk and fail, and that's okay. Um, yeah, the entrepreneurial mindset is something that can be applied if you're the person signing on the dotted line or if you're working in a very large matrix organization um, with lots of different businesses within it. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations with entrepreneurs who started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and my guest on today's episode is serial entrepreneur Peter Sayer. Peter is the founder and CEO of Flex Path Capital, a company he started more than a decade ago to provide more security for dealers, customers, and investors. More recently, he started Driveline AI, a technology platform that helps businesses gain high quality customer information defined by geography. Listen in as we talk about Peter's entrepreneurial journey, the importance of building and trusting a strong team, and what he has learned along the way about what it takes to start and build a successful business. Peter, thank you for joining me on The In Factor. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here, um, a, a, a local Tampa entrepreneur. Uh, you've been local here, I think you said seven years. And uh, so let's hear a little bit about what you do. Now, you're the founder uh, right now of two companies, um, Flex Cap FlexPath Capital, I think, is and Driveline AI. So tell us a little bit. FlexPath Capital, you started, I think, about ten years ago, and um, as I understand it, it, you know, it's it's in the automobile industry space, connecting people who want to finance or in, finance and insurance in the automobile space. But tell us a little bit about how that works. You would be in the fintech space, I think. Would that be correct? It depends on how you define it, right? Um, yes, yeah, so let's clearly define what FlexPath Capital does today. We provide wholesale financing to independent used car dealers for putting inventory on their lots to retail, to sell to consumers. So we help them with lines of credit to buy their inventory. Oh, okay, very interesting. How did you get into that space? Well, um, I started my career at IBM. Uh, got amazing training there and then went and dabbled in entrepreneurship and came back into more of the corporate space by working for a company by the name of Alliance Bernstein. Really wonderful financial management business that um, afforded me an opportunity to work through the melees of the Great Recession. Um, seeing that, seeing um, the public-private partnership, which Alliance Bernstein and many of the Wall Street banks were a part of in terms of good bank, bad bank, asset distribution. Mm -hmm. Some of us may remember those terms. Um, well, uh, I got great exposure to different parts of the consumer market. And just through nights and weekends and interest, I found my way to um, automobile financing. All of us need cars. 
right? And uh, I began learning about it, asking more questions, believing that I could come up with a solution that would allow me, a very small startup company, to compete with the biggest providers of capital. How would you do that? And it was through technology, combining many different aspects of a transaction, the consumer, the car that they're buying, the dealership that they're buying it from, and the general demography of the area that they're buying that vehicle. That's a massive amount of data to slam together and make sense of in order to provide an underwriting decision. So we worked on that, combining that data, and as we scratched at solving that problem, we started building out our team. And it became compelling enough for me to quit my job on Wall Street managing money um, and take a swing at it. Um, and it's been a uh, really remarkable experience in so many different ways. Um, and we're here today and we're about to cel celebrate our 11th anniversary on April 1st. That's wonderful. Yeah. Now, I, I saw that you started Driveline AI as well, mm. but it sounds a lot, it sounds very similar to what you were describing in terms of the technology. So explain to me kind of how you got into that, because it, it uses geography as well, right? And trying to, uh, as I understand it, trying to, to better, um, to find high quality customer leads in a geographic area, marketing, that sort of thing. Am I I mean, you're in and around it? the who. Okay, well, let, uh, let's hear close. what Driveline AI does. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so in, in a way, the FlexPath story and the Driveline story are very much connected. When you're competing in the financial services space, selling financial products, in our case, lines of credit to use car dealers to put inventory on their lots, well, if you're only competing on price, what other value are you bringing? Used car dealers, they tend to be great businessmen and women with just sometimes not enough resources to conduct their business as well as the larger balance sheet new car dealers in their area. A strong value proposition for those dealers is let me help you sell more cars. I happened to be at a University of Foot, uh, Florida football game. I struck up a conversation with a gentleman that was standing next to me. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What do you do for a living? And he was trying to pioneer the use of location-based data to drive foot traffic and human visits back into a particular retail store to sell them mattresses. And I said, that's really cool. And he goes, yeah. Um, and I said, could that work for used car dealers? And the whole idea behind Driveline was use location-based observations derived from mobile devices, your phone, your iPad, to provide just-in-time and precise content delivery, advertising, marketing strategy, build audience, understand who your consumer is, where they go, what's valuable to them. And so I felt if I could bring that into used car dealers, I'd be solving a big problem for them and creating a value proposition that made my financial product stand out. What it turned into is something so much bigger, better, brighter. And all of that is because I've built an amazing team that saw it from a different perspective. 
that challenged my assumptions on what it could really be. And now it's servicing healthcare customers, marketing agencies, hedge funds. There's almost an unlimited amount of use cases that this data and our ability to provide access to billions of observations on a daily basis in an easy to use, do it yourself way. That's the vision. We're pretty darn close. Um, and so the story between them are they're distinctly different products, but one was created to solve a value proposition for the other and it became so much more. Mm-hmm. One thing that you don't see on my CV as well is um, I have partners and we own car washes throughout the mid-Atlantic. And what was supposed to be just a uh, asset purchase has turned into a business. Again, great team. Um, We saw an opportunity. We structured it in a way that made sense to us financially. The math was like the same math as auto math, the same math as most capital markets math. Um, And we bet on ourselves. And it's working. It's cool. Yeah. So that I love that um, because, you know, we talk a lot with students about where to find opportunities, how to recognize opportunities. And you said driveline, that whole, the, the seed for that was planted at a football game, right? October and, 2019. I'll never forget it. <laughs> right before the pandemic, interestingly. Um, Correct. Not long before yep. anyway. Um, and with FlexPath Capital, what kind of led you into the auto space? I mean, you know, I understand the finance connection, but the auto space, was there a pivotal moment for that? Because... Um, do, do you want to know the, the truth? Yeah. So... When I was um, still working for Alliance Bernstein and learning so much on the job there during that part of the economic cycle, during that time in everybody's lives, right? um, you got broad exposure to lots of different parts of, um, you know, the investment spectrum. And this one just caught my fancy. There was a a small publicly traded business that happened to be here in the Tampa Bay region. Coincidentally, I was up in New York um, and I began learning about it. And so I called my friend Matt, who was an analyst, and I said, do you know something about this company? I'm not an analyst. And he came back with his analyst speak and and I said, okay, well, what else is like that? And it just started as a conversation, no different than what we're having right now. You're smart. I'm really desperate to want to be smart someday. I'm going to ask smart people questions. And then if there's, you know, something there, we're going to keep on coming back to it. And that's just what happened. I was not an auto guy. I don't consider myself an auto guy in terms of I don't really care about the cars, but I love the business. I love the dealerships. I've got an amazing team of leaders that I learn from every single day really accomplished men and women that show up and I mean they make auto finance really fun because they're smart and they do their job and I know when I'm not looking um, they're doing it right the first time yeah you mentioned team several times we're going to dig into that in a few minutes but I have to go back a little bit to this whole idea of you know where opportunities come from Mm. so as I'm listening to you talk you know one of the things that um, that we were talking about before 
uh, we started recording is this whole idea of an entrepreneurial mindset and curiosity, asking questions, being surprised by things, looking for opportunities everywhere. Is that something that you've always kind of carried with you, this idea of being curious? Because that's what I'm hearing when you're talking. You're, you're curious, you ask questions, um, you're interested in a lot of things. And if so, do you, you know, does that come from, you know, was that something that you're you learned at home? Um, is that just something that, you know, have you always been curious? And would you say that's part of what enables you? I also hear that you're willing to let other people um, teach you. So, and you're willing to learn. So learning and the importance of learning, I think would be a part of it, this curiosity and learning. So there's a lot in there to cover. So um, one, uh, just to cover this off, I like working with a diversity of leaders. That energizes me. Really smart people who have an opinion and can go out there and execute. Where I get uncomfortable is when people have a perspective or an opinion and can't. That's a different conversation for a different day. But where does opportunity come from? It's typically right in front of you. If you're willing to see it, if you happen to listen for it, um, and that's also really hard because most of us uh, act, you know, tactically instead of strategically all of the time. You're trying to solve the problems of the day or of the week or the thing that's right in front of you while keeping your eyes on the longer term opportunity. I talk about team a lot because they allow me to sometimes remove myself from the day to day to spend time on the strategic and yeah, I don't like making unilateral decisions when I work with strong leaders, people who execute, because it's theirs too. I'll come to them, put it in front of them, ask for their opinion, cultivate that. And if they hate it, then we kill it, right? Because they're smarter than I am. Um, but for the most part, you know, getting buy-in, building culture, right? creating an opportunity in an entrepreneurial environment where people can, without having the title or the ownership, where they can lead, where they can control their own destiny, where they can take risk and fail, and that's okay. Um, yeah, the entrepreneurial mindset is something that can be applied if you're the person signing on the dotted line or if you're working in a very large matrix organization um, with lots of different businesses within it. Yeah, yeah. So it so we've taught you've mentioned team a lot. So mm -hmm. we got to talk about team. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about building? Let's let's go back to FlexPath. Uh, you know, how did you go about building that first team? Uh, did you, you know, is there a strategy there? Because for a lot of entrepreneurs, they're kind of used to being out there on their own, uh, at least initially. And it's kind of scary sometimes to bring on other people and kind of let go a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's 100% the case. When I started FlexPath, I thought I had done all the nights and weekends and analytical work and research. And I quit my job and I started on April one. And by April 15, I was calling advisors, friends, people who I trusted, who knew I was taking this leap and saying, I need an operator. I can't do this myself. And what ultimately brought me down to Florida was 
what I determined now as my, my business partner, um, lived here. And we were building out the back office here. So back office, what does that mean? So back office is more like um, administrative functions, paperwork, underwriting, collections, as far as the FlexPath business was concerned, right? Managing the business. Your sales operators are out in the field, operating independently, representing your brand, representing your product, hopefully answering questions. Um, and as we grew, as we were invested in, because of my team, truly, we did a very big structured finance deal, coincidentally, with Alliance Bernstein. And it was because of my team. It wasn't because of me. That single point of failure is unbelievable to the investor. Sure, you're going to be the one to build a one-person auto finance company with no experience. It was, a, it was a mountain too high. But with a team, you get there, right? And it's changed. Yeah, so, yeah. so one of the things I heard in that um, when you're talking about your experience was that you knew what you knew and you also knew that there was a lot you didn't know and you were willing to admit that and look for somebody to fill in the gaps. So um, you've remained the CEO, correct? Is that correct? Yeah, so the, as the CEO, you're more of a big picture out building relationships, face of the company, and, and then you wanted somebody who could be there as an operator, uh, making sure that all the I's got dotted and the T's got crossed. And so did your operator help you build your team once you brought the right person on to fill the, the sort of the big gap? Were they also so instrumental in helping you build out the rest of the team? When I think about my president and COO uh, today, my partner, um, he built the business. He was the foundation, right? And I've recognized that early. And we didn't always get along. I was up in New York. He was down here. It's very tough to build culture and context from, you know, that far away. And at times we talked about it. He felt like he was on an island. But you know what? He showed up. He did the job all the time. And yeah, I think in a traditional environment, the CEO can be more ceremonial and out front and pressing flesh and doing deals. And that's certainly part of it. Um, but when you're getting something so close and so dear and something that you're so connected to off the ground early, you're doing everything. Right? You're first one in the morning, you're last one to leave, you're competing with your other partners as to who can put in more hours, who can turn documents faster, right? Building that, not competitive with one another, but that sense of urgency, right? You can't build that sense of urgency if you're not willing to do the work yourself. And you actually lose context from your business if you don't do every job first. Go get your butt kicked, buy your people, learn it. Right, so that way you can speak in a clear, concise, and compelling fashion about every aspect of your business, and that's my job. My job is to protect shareholder value. My job is to protect my people. My job is to create an environment that promotes and incentivize really good work, really good culture, 
uh, and safety, right? Safety comes in stability. It also comes in the way that you treat people. And what's the size of your team now at, uh, at FlexPath? Well, it depends on how you count the numbers, <laughs> right? You know, early days, everything was insourced, meaning they were my employees. Times have changed in the last decade, and they were changing back then, too. Um, we, through technology, through our, you know, now 24 years of different businesses build, building tech or being part of technology-related solutions, um, we're able to do so much more on a distributed basis. There's an old adage that says you can't manage what you can't measure. Through technology integration, reporting, data visualizations, that kind of neat stuff, you can really run your business and distributed teams. Right. You know, we see it in the U.S. military, the way that they interoperate between themselves, between other countries, right? You can take those lessons and that inspiration from there and apply it to our business. So my core team today at FlexPath is like seven, but we just raised a heck of a lot of, you know, growth equity in the last two weeks and our team is growing. We plan to be a multiple of what we are just because of the core organic growth that we have. And people say, well, it's, it's amazing, you know, you're a great CEO. And the answer is, ah, yeah, I'm still earning it. It's taken me 11 years to be an overnight success in that business. <sighs> and so I'm, I'm not taking it for granted. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned technology a lot, and I wanted to get into that as well because mm. this biz these businesses, I called it fintech at first, and uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I mean, it is and it isn't. Yeah, yeah. So technology's been a very important part of building your company, and um, it's also the way that we scale a lot of companies. And so could you talk a little bit about um, technology, um, you know, what was your background for anybody out there listening that might want to do a tech-enabled or a tech-based business? Um, what was your background in technology, and and what did you have to learn going into this? Yeah, I mean, whether you are a technologist or not, if you think about how you operate your lives today, you're surrounded by tech. You're surrounded by data. Inherently, you understand that. Most people have a smart device. Most people pay that bill first, right? Because they couldn't live without that smart device. People inherently and organically understand data. I was a generalist as an undergrad. I was a poli-sci major. You know, I kind of took some finance courses, kind of took some accounting courses, right? You know, was looking for my North Star and was fortunate enough through a friend's father that my resume landed on the right desk at IBM at the right time. And the benefit of being brought into an organization like that with proven processes, products, balance sheet, reputation, um, resources, they invest a lot in education, training. I came in towards the tail end of uh, Lou Gerstner's tenure there, turning the business around. And while not always the most popular of people, just an inspiring and amazing leader. I mean, to take something so complex and uh, keep it as an icon. But the better part of that was 
I understood the connection between business processes, solving problems, and technology. So I was force-fed it, and I loved it, and it made sense to me, and I was with a great organization, and I got to talk to a lot of really, really smart people who were doing really cool things. And that company, IBM, gave me exposure to entrepreneurs in the tech space up in Boston and Cambridge and Route 128 and, you know, Silicon Valley East. Um, and what an amazing time at the end of the 90s into the 2000s. What a provocative time to be in an entrepreneurship industry representing such a solid brand. And that has stuck with me. I still have my training materials. And every so often, uh, I reference them. But I stay in touch with most of the people that were in my you know, management and sales training program. And you were also, did, did, am I correct that you went to Babson? I did. Also. So I know a lot of people there. Steve, I don't know if you know Steve Spinelli, who's the current president, but he's a friend of mine. And Well, I mean, he's been amazing for the college. Yeah. I don't know him. Um, but clearly his reputation speaks yeah, for itself. Yeah, founder of Jiffy Lube. And Jeff Timmons, who was the founder of the program, was one of my mentors. It's a it's a fabulous place to connect with entrepreneurs. You mentioned Route 128. It was, it was in work. my backyard growing yeah. up. Yeah. And yeah. so I always knew about Babson. Yeah. And Babson really is that emerald gem, right? Just sitting there, you know, in very fertile ground of the greater Boston area from a High-level education yes. perspective. And of course, here at the University of Tampa, we've got a great program as well. It's so like a ruby. I have to. <laughs> it's like a ruby. I, I have to throw a pitch out for that. So, um, you know, we're talking about entrepreneurial mindset and all these great things about building a tech company and, you know, learning along the way. And, and you know, I've heard from so many entrepreneurs that if that that if they had waited until they knew what they needed to know, they would have never have done it because it's definitely a learning journey. And I think I'm hearing that from you as well. But I'm also curious about how all of your family felt about you becoming an entrepreneur. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of people and they say, you know, my, my parents said I pretty much had to go to engineering school or I had to become a lawyer or a doctor or you know, this, this entrepreneur thing was not what <laughs> they wanted me to be. But here I am in my 40s, you know, an, an entrepreneur because that's what I really loved. Did, was this always interesting to you or is it just something that kind of happened? And if, you know, how did everybody in the family think think about it? You know, because it can mean sacrifice. Yeah. Um, that sacrifice is something that you can't underestimate ever. Um, but it, to be direct to your question, my parents were the first entrepreneurial influences in my life. I mean, for literally up until after graduating from college, they ran their own businesses, sometimes more successfully, sometimes less successfully, sometimes in their own office building, and sometimes out of the house um, and growing up in a family business um, when, so one of the businesses, the most successful business was a company by the name of Equip Systems. And Equip Systems ultimately worked with hospitals and healthcare systems on equipment management programs. So they would provide back of the truck 
ultrasonic cleaning of things like IV poles and stretchers and wheelchairs, non-electric patient care equipment is what they called it. And it was a great business and it was a mom and pop business and they employed people and it was hard. It was a hard business and sometimes people didn't show up to work and sometimes we got pulled out of bed to go and do that work. So, you know, how do you encapsulate that in a phrase? I call it a value of a dollar, right? You're less likely to spend your money frivolously when you've worked on the back of a truck off hours at a hospital loading dock when you can just imagine all of the stuff that moves in and out of a hospital from a loading dock. Yeah, I'm going to value that dollar more. So I learned that lesson early. We were never without. We always had a roof above our head and we always had food and everything was great, right? You know, because we didn't know any better. Um, But my parents worked hard, like really hard. And my mother was an amazing saleswoman. My father was a great operator. And so that's where I guess I must have learned it. But I don't think anybody looked at me and said, Peter, you're going to run your own business someday. I think they were like, Peter, what what are you going to do? And they gave me the space to try to figure it out. You know, and I failed. You know, if I look at my CV, it doesn't look like I failed. But I know in my mind, I never really got there. And then... I bet on myself 11 years ago and it was really scary because I had just had my third child and I was living outside of New York City, which was super inexpensive or the opposite, (laughs) right? And I was starting a business and I was fully vested and things take longer. They cost more. And to be sitting here today and to be sitting across from a person like you with your breadth and depth in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, as it were, not just here in Tampa, but nationally. I mean, that's very validating. feels good. I don't feel like I've done enough to deserve it. And that's what gets me up every morning. I love to work. And COVID taught me how to work better. You know what I'm doing after I leave here? I go and I coach 12U lacrosse with one of my sons. And then you know what I'm going to do after that? I've got a couple of conference calls. We figured it out. My kids recognize that I work really hard, but at least I'm home. There were times in my career where literally I'd be out before they woke up in the morning on Monday and I wouldn't see them awake until Friday evening. I don't want that. Yeah. And I don't want that from the people that work with me, right? Or work for me. Quality of life. Get your work done, right? Let's let's manage it. Let's measure it, and and I think, cre- you know, creating that as my entrepreneurial mindset, right? Empowering, partnering, not managing, doing those things. I think that's what broke it open for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so much research shows us that that role models along the way have a huge impact. And uh, like you, I had parental role models, especially my mom. She was she was my role model. And, uh, you know, I worked in her business as well all the time. It was great, great lesson for me. And uh, But she applied an entrepreneurial mindset across the board, I think. And that's really how I learned it. So you mentioned something in there about failure. And uh, failure, you know, one of, one of my favorite... Um, 
one of my favorite podcasts, one of my guests said, you know, you have to execute past failure. And that is a phrase that I've used, and I even used it in my book and the model that I put together based on my research. Because at the end of the day, it is, you know, everybody is going to face, everybody who succeeds is going to face something along the way that isn't an outcome that they anticipated or wanted. And uh, we're really scared of failure. That word is just, it's hard to say, and it brings up all kinds of emotion. But tell me a little bit about how failure, um, how do you think about failure? And and have you had, and I know the answer to this, but, you know, are there some experiences along the way, uh, times when maybe you felt like giving up and you were really close to, to the edge, but you had to push past it and... and how did you do that, and what did you learn from it? So I'll start um, by plagiarizing something that Bill Gates is credited for saying, which is success is a horrible teacher. Okay, so let's get on to failure. And the answer is you kind of have to embrace it, and you have to be adept at learning from it quickly and just keep on moving forward. Look, uh, I'm just one entrepreneur. There are millions, and I think the common thread that you've probably heard through your career conducting conversations like these is that um, at somewhere deep inside that person or those people is something that drives them, something that motivates them. When I started FlexPath Capital, and I was going to say this later in our discussion, right, about the one thing that I would... If I had one thing to pass forward, um, would be don't underestimate raising capital from friends and family. Don't underestimate that. Where deep, deep relationships are on the line, where they love you and they're investing in you because it's you, more so than anything else. Maybe 50-50. But that was a great motivator for never giving up. You say, what, you know, persevere. Well, certainly there's always selfish things that you can point to, like, I don't want to be a loser, right? You know, I don't want to get kicked out of my house, whatever that quantum is. But it's, I took their investment really seriously. And I knew um, that while they would try not to treat me any differently, it would be something that would always be there. And that's always been my drive and motivation because we have almost failed and not necessarily because of us, right? There are circumstances that come at every entrepreneur that are outside of their control. I call them macros, right? Things that happen around you that you have no control over. So your job as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, as the person, the partner, is to do everything within your control to prevent that failure. I call it max optionality. I say, look, things are subject to change more than they're subject to stay the same. Change is the rule, not the exception. Regulatory changes, data changes, people changes, economy changes, right? We can do this all day. Everything's subject to change. And sometimes on a whim and sometimes for no reason at all. And so we've constantly, and this is thematic in everything that I'm involved with, even some of the 
you know, organizations that I don't count as my businesses, things that I'm just involved with is we're flexible, we're adaptable. We expect things to go wrong. Why? Because we've lived it and we've survived it and shame on us if we didn't learn from it. But yeah, that's my greatest motivation is I don't want to fail the people that entrusted me with their capital mm-hmm. in any one of these businesses. Mm-hmm. So ultimate failure of the business wasn't an option, basically. <laughs> no way. No way. And I was committed. Right. You know, I emptied my 401ks. I, you know, I, I lived that you lifestyle. You had skin in the game, as we call it. Oh, yeah. And more. <laughs> and, I, and, and no safety net and three kids at home. Yeah. And an amazing wife, right? Like, I didn't want to mess up for them for sure. But as a CEO, right? Not as a dad. That's, that's a different thing. But as a CEO, you have a responsibility to your investors. Mm-hmm. And it really disappoints me when you see people who don't take that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had 10, 10 good years at Flex Path Capital and you've launched, I think, Driveline two years ago. Did I read that? Or two or three years we ago? We incorporated two years ago and we brought on customers within the last 18 months. Um, we will be scaling that business significantly in the second quarter of this year. We brought on some amazing new executives, partners out there. And so we're really excited about it, but uh, there's there's still some work yeah. to be done. Yeah. So, and I know that, um, I know that you've also filled up your time with uh, philanthropic work. And um, so I'm curious, uh, could you share a little bit about how you give back and, and why you give back? And then maybe um, after that, sort of what's the future look like for for Peter and these companies and the work that you do? Well, I think something you're going to hear, or at least maybe a conclusion that you can draw from our conversation today is, I'm busy, right? So philanthropically, you know, when we first moved down here, FlexPath was doing okay. We were in hyperscale. And then very soon thereafter, we went through one of our bigger hiccups in the history of the business. And I just wanted to focus on that business. I didn't want to be involved at all. Lacrosse was organic. My son played. And when we first moved down here, in order to get him situated, I offered up my time. And what that's turned into is a love affair for the game, the organization that I volunteer with, and the people that help run it. They've um, recognized me by putting me on the board. And I take that job seriously because it's such a great sport. It's so inclusive, um, tall, small, big, you know, whatever, uh, fast, slow. There's a place for you out there. Um, and that has become a passion project for me. How you and I met, I was doing some um, advocacy work um, for a center at a different university here in town. And uh, they asked, Hillsborough asked, if there would be someone to chair a newly formed Um, Entrepreneurship Advisory Board to Hillsborough County Public Schools. And my name was put forward. And then COVID hit. And so our biggest challenge was we had these amazingly motivated teachers who were buying into curriculum and programs that the uh, district and the county were putting forward to them. And they were persevering through COVID, teaching kids in a distributed way, sometimes where they didn't have access to the technology. Like, how were they? 
and where we gained our greatest inspiration as a board was from the pioneering efforts of those teachers during that period of time. So today, three years later, in partnership with two amazing women at the district um, who are just driven for the kids. I mean, really, that's their motivation. They're not there for the money. Um, we have close to 2,000 kids in the district taking entrepreneurship classes. Um, countless corporate sponsors into the district. Uh, we're growing. We're in 28 schools out of something like 79 or 80 and growing. I mean, that to me is also a passion project. I get to meet really cool people, um, get to give back to my community, promote that next generation of student that, you know, can give back to Tampa or wherever they choose to go. Um, but something where they know that they've got resources. People like you, people, you know, organizations like the University of Tampa that have resources, have a mandate to give back. That is what you do. It's amazing. So that's that. And then lastly, you can't live in Tampa um, without becoming friends with somebody who has something to do with the military. And through an organic relationship with a family that have become, you know, like family to us, uh, I'm also a volunteer coach with the Honor Foundation that works with transitioning special operations warfare uh, officers, uh, amazing men and women who have such off-the-chart leadership experience and capabilities and just need a little bit of private sector context. And that's what the organization ultimately is there to do, and they deliver that through curriculum and um, interactions. And so I get to work with fellows what they call the men and women that come through the program. And they're also super inspirational. So back to your original point about where do opportunities come from all around you. And so, um, yeah, staying busy, staying current, um, trying to give back. I think that's, that's, you know, part of a holistic sort of way of living life that I think has made me, you know, successful in terms of what I believe is my quality of life. You know, uh, networks are a really important uh, part of entrepreneurship, and I always encourage my students to go out and volunteer because it's a fabulous way to meet people that they might not otherwise have an opportunity to be connected to. People like you, for example, who are out there giving back to the community um, who, you know, might they may not have access to without that kind of, uh, you know, volunteerism. So thank you for all that you do for those organizations and for the community. And, it, you know, this, is, this has been really a lot of fun for me to learn a lot more about you. We've, we connected some time back, and it took us a little while to do this. But it's been fun to, sh to learn more, and I'm excited to share your story. And I do, as you pointed out earlier, I always ask, like, what's that one piece of advice? And I, and I don't know if you want to add to what you said earlier, but I always like to try to end on that you know, there's, I'm sure that there's a lot that you've already shared with us, but if you had to summarize that one thing, you know, is there anything you want to add at this point? Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny in that, um, when I first started FlexPath, I just so happened to have, um, a fortune cookie, right? And I opened it up and the fortune said, hard work and perseverance will pay off. And I took it 
and I taped it to the back of my phone and it was there for six years. And if I can just impart something that the fortune cookie said to me, literally hard work and perseverance, like if you can just persevere, just get up the next day and stand up, right? Just persevere, figure out where to get that next thing that allows you to move forward. It does work. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, fortune cookies every now and then. They've got great advice. Totally. And I think uh, another great entrepreneur said something similar, Steve Jobs. He was mm -hmm. like, I think he said perseverance is what separated the successful entrepreneurs from those who weren't. So, you know, you're in good company there. I wouldn't Thank mess you. with that. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Peter. This has been great. Thank Where can you, our Dr. listeners White. find you, connect with you, learn more about you? LinkedIn, please. And in the message, just say, I listened to, you know, Dr. White's podcast and would love to connect. Always happy to. I'm always happy to go out into the district and present in the schools as well. And I do that, you know, a few times per month. So please reach out. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.